Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip's topic is volatility is not a risk. Plus, he answers your questions such as what's going on with the markets? What are your thoughts on Dogecoin? And what are NTFs? Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now... Here's Philip. Another episode is Friday afternoon. It's going to be a good looking weekend, I, b- I believe. Actually, let me check the weather. I think my wife said it's going to rain. I'm supposed to be boiling crab. All right, no, the rain got moved to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's just going to be windy on Saturday and supposed the sunshine on Sunday. So we are good to go boiling, boiling some crab for Mother's Day. Um, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And, uh, yeah, I'm super thankful for the weekend, but let's, let's get into it. We got a couple of topics to cover. The, I titled this episode, Volatility is Not Risk, because this week has been a, a very volatile risk, right? And it's crazy because as long as I've been doing this for 15 years, whenever, you know, I get clients saying, Oh, you need to take more risk. You need to do this. You need to do that. Like whenever clients want to take more risk, I'm like, this means there's probably a correction coming, you know, coming soon. You can't ever time these things, but uh, uh, the best indicator over any, you know, charts or math is just just paying attention to the sentiment of retail investors, investors who are not watching the markets all day long. You know, whenever they get antsy and are pushing you to be <laughs> more aggressive, you know, that's a good way to say, uh, yeah, it's probably a correction. Again, I wouldn't, I don't try to time anything off that or uh, make any investment decisions but it's just a it's an interesting observation because i was getting that a lot over the last two weeks there oh we're not aggressive oh we should be doing this oh we should be doing that and then once the market hits you know hits a little snap like it is right now people begin to freak out and i'm like well wait a minute i mean you you know (laughs) this is just part of the normal cycle the market doesn't go up straight all the time forever um, but it's understandable right it's human emotions and, and as a matter of fact you know I, one of the big things that I tell new clients like the, the, the biggest benefit to a wealth manager or anybody who helps you invest your money is less the portfolios because that part is easy you have a lot of good companies out there that can help you build a portfolio the benefit of a, of a good wealth manager is um, helping you like not get too high you know when you want to take crazy risks when it's not the good, not the right time, or when it's you know like recently, you know, people want to take more risk. I'm like, nah, stick with the plan. This is your plan because if they would have taken on more risk, they would have fallen harder at the wrong time. And then also not to get too low. Like when the market does this, stay the course, don't freak out, right? Because that's that's worth multiples of what you pay somebody to keep you on track. It's a lot like a personal trainer, right? I recently, as as some of the listeners know, went on a, a, a journey to drop 20 pounds in weight over the last 12 months, right? Probably 12 months exactly because I started in May. And had I not had the accountability of my, my, my Muay Thai coaches keeping me focused, I wouldn't have done it, right? Because I've been, you know, I've been trying to do this for, you know, going on 20 years now, trying to get back to my 17, 18-year-old weight. And all it took was finding a coach. So I got a bit off topic, but going back to it, 
volatility is not risk. Volatility creates lots of opportunities for the patient investors who have a really good game plan. And so I like to use a perfect example that I talked to one of my clients about because he, you know, he he asked me to to give him more information about about Bitcoin and the, 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 the so I explained it. And for those of you who want more explanation on on Bitcoin. Yesterday on on my LinkedIn page, Philip Washington Jr., I dropped a blog post, and then on my website, sometime next week, I'm gonna I wrote like a it's not an ebook, but it's like a 40 page white paper, you know, on how you know investing in the 21st century stocks, bonds, and crypto, uh, and it covers a lot of Bitcoin, so it'll it'll be available soon too. Probably maybe when you listen to uh, we're dropping this today, so it probably probably won't be ready till next week sometime. We're putting the finishing touches on it, but. It'll dive deeper. So, I, but I had walked through that information with him, and he said, "He said, hey, but it's so volatile." And I said, "Well, anytime you know, anytime you transition from you know one economic system to the other, which is basically you know what's happening, right? We transfer from you know Britain's economic system around the world to the U.S. economic system around the world in the." early 1900s. So anytime you have the uh, that transition, you know, the America was more volatile than the UK in the early 1900s, right? It was more volatile. Britain was less volatile because it was the known and certain, you know, dynasty for, you know, over 100 years. And so so it the 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 quote unquote safe thing would have been to, you know, hold UK assets even though they were broke. Even though it was clear the system was no longer relevant and the American capitalistic system was better, more decentralized, less top down. And these are themes that I cover in the in the in the blog post I wrote on LinkedIn. But if you if you look at wealth, right, if you if you said, hey, I'm going to put my wealth in American assets or UK assets over the last hundred years, it was it's not even close. Right. U.S. assets smoked the UK assets, right, from, from a currency, stock, bond standpoint, like, real, you know, real estate, all that. And so volatility doesn't equal risk, right? And it could be because betting on America at that time also did not seem as risky as it was if you, if you understood economic principles, because money, money follows laws, right? Money's going to flow to where it's the, it's the freest, most transparent, scarcest economic system, out there where basically where there's high trust. And so if you understand the principles of money, and, and, and even if you, you know, the, the, we're talking about money, right? But even if it's like you understand how to value businesses or you understand where industry is going or you understand technological trends and, you know, the human beings, right, by nature, we hate change. And so if you have the trend right, you know the majority of people Majority of investors are going to bet against change because we just do it as humans. But if you're right and you're investing against all the people who are betting against the trend, which is how you make money, it's going to be a lot of volatility. But as the trend gets stronger and more apparent and more people convert to the system, then you you end up making a lot of money. I, I use another example. Back in the early 1900s, you know, previously for I don't know how long, but probably over 100 years, the way we traveled was horse and buggies. You know, so imagine, you know, some crazy guy named Ford with a Model T comes out and he says, hey, everybody in America is going to be driving cars, right? You should you should invest in Ford. You'd have been thinking, Psh, 
Yeah, right. I'm going to uh, stick with investing in horse and buggies because they're cheap, right? They're, they're value stocks. They're cheap. Uh, it's what I know, right? And you'd have lost big, right? And Because the horse and buggy was the value trap. Like It was cheap because <laughs> it was done. Same thing with, um, with electrifying homes, right? One of the, one of the biggest moves that John D. Rockefeller made, you know, when, when he ended up buying up all the oil and gas refineries and taking over the market, a lot of folks were saying, well, man, like homes are heated with kerosene. So I can't see us using that much, you know, I can't see oil and gas being that much more used, right? We're like, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're running out. We don't really have any opportunities. And, and he, and he, foresaw the future i.e he made a lot of money from the you know electrifying homes with 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 those products of oil and gas and he was a big supplier to automotives for 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 gasoline and so he saw the future bet on the future and it was volatile in the short term right a a good book is ron Chernow's titan it walks you through uh that very it's 800 pages but I mean, it's a very entertaining book. If you want to listen, you can listen to it on Audible. But very entertaining book if you're a history business nerd like me. But he bet on the future, right? And and the future is one. The future is like undefeated, assuming you get the picture right. So that's another example of yeah, it was volatile, but he but as the world converted over, he made stupid amounts of money. Another example is Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos saw the future in selling things on the internet. He 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 and Jeff Bezos, people don't realize he actually worked at a hedge fund before. He's a finance guy, right? And and finance guys, like we're like we don't like to take risk. A lot the perception of finance people is we like to take risk. No, a lot of retail investors who don't have a background are gambling and risk taking, right? That's their strategy. And I'm not saying one is right, one is right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just saying like that's not what finance people do. We like to assess odds, right? You know, you know, if I invest here, what could I lose, and how much could I make, right? And what's you know, and do I like that ratio, and then how much do I want to bet, right? We like to get the best risk adjusted returns, right, versus making the most money possible, right? Which is a that's a a different game. And so he he saw like if if you if you understand a principle called Metcalf's law, right? The the simple version is how network effects work, right? So in and ju- you know, we think in linear ways, right? We think hey, things get better like this. But when you're dealing with a a big paradigm shift and something that involves a network, Right. It's exponential growth. Right. So if you if you have 100 people in a network, they're going to bring on 100 people. Right. And then there's 200 and then 200 brings on 400. So it's a it's a different level of growth as that technology gets bigger and bigger. And so Jeff Bezos, I forget how he recognizes, but he was looking at the numbers of the of the Internet. Like and he was like, whoa, the Internet's coming online at a exponential pace. And there's only a matter of time before we use this to buy and sell stuff. And so he started with an easy product, books, right? You know, it's very easy to buy and sell on the internet. It's very low risk, but the goal was to sell everything. Here's my point. I pull up a chart, and if you would have bought Amazon at the worst time period, January 1st, 2000, right before the bubble popped, if you owned that stock, and then if, if, you, if you held it to today, and I'm going to compare it to the S&P 500, right? So you could have invested in the S&P 500, Right, which is quote unquote the safe stock market. 
if you bought the S&P 500 in January 1st, 2000, and you put in 10 grand, and then you left it in there, or you could have bought the S&P 500 and put in 10 grand and left it in there, and we fast forward to today. I'm using Y charts. I got this software program that looks at historic stuff. Your 10 grand would have turned into $454,000 over that period of time versus the S&P would, would turned into $20,470, right? Significant difference in, in what you, in, in the amount of money you, you have in both. But along the way, Amazon was extremely volatile, right? For, for, for you, I mean, even, even still now it's relatively volatile and it, it's the established winner. But if you understand Metcalf's law and paradigm shifts, we're in a paradigm shift, right? The world is changing. We're 1900s going from horse and buggies to, to, you know, to regular cars, right? Or we're going from gas powered cars that we drive to renewable energized cars that we, that we don't drive. You know, we're going to, big bulky banks that take up lots of real estate and don't provide many services to like digital wallets, right? I mean, the whole world is changing. You know, again, we're going to a monetary system where people behind closed doors can make decisions that make the value of our money worth less and we can do nothing about it. We can't even opt out if we don't want to. We have no control over it and, and, and they're like just printing money like crazy versus a monetary system like Bitcoin where you can opt in by buying it um, it can't be printed. There's only going to be 21 million, right? And no decision can be made on the protocol without the majority consensus. And you can opt out if you don't like what's going on, right? And so you have paradigm shifts that are happening. And in those paradigm shifts, right, if you if you pay attention to history and you understand what's happening and then you bet accordingly, there's going to be volatility, right? And here's the other part. There's going to be volatility somewhat in the old system too, right? Because even if you own AT&T stock, you know, which is the boringest of the boring, right? You know, as a matter of fact, I give I give AT and T kudos. They did a really good job buying HBO Max, and I, I mean, I love that. You know, I love what they did with HBO Max. So I'm an AT and T fan on that on that standpoint. But just for you know, example purposes, you got AT and T. You know, their stock is even volatile. Maybe not as volatile as you know Netflix or somewhere else, but but it's volatile. So you're gonna deal with volatility either way. But the more volatility you deal with, if you're right, and again, it's a, if you're right, you have huge upside opportunities for volatility. So volatility is something to be embraced, right? What's, what's more risky is not knowing what you're doing and gambling. That's risky because gambling is also volatile. You just, you just don't know if the odds are in your favor or not. You have no fundamental analysis um, of it, and then you're just willing and dealing with volatility. Like That's risky. And, but 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 the volatility right is is not actually the risk. Let me go a little deeper, right? So so here so yesterday or when was it? Was it yesterday? Yesterday or the day before? Like the tech stock sold off really bad, and I think Coinbase, one of the stocks that we own in the and in, in one of the Stonehill Wealth Management Managed Account Strategies, it sold off like seven eight nine percent, and I was like, this is crazy. And the other crazy part was so Coinbase sold off that much. And Square reported really good earnings, like their their Bitcoin sales on the platform was like crazy, and and so Square went up after hours, and I was like, isn't that crazy? Because Coinbase same quarter sold more Bitcoin, you know, than than Square, and they're going to sell more Bitcoin 
you know, in the square for the whole year, like multiples of, the, of, of what of what Square is going to do, because that's like their business is selling crypto, right? And they don't, and they don't, they don't just sell Bitcoin; they sell a bunch of it. And so I'm like, it's weird that you know, but here's where I'm going. The reason why that happened is a lot of investors are are passively invested in in index funds or ETFs, right? And so if they are bearish on tech. They'll, they first, they, they own an index, so they might own an innovation index or an index that invests in tech type companies, and they'll just sell the index, right? Which basically that sells all the stocks indiscriminately, or they'll short the index and it just shorts them indiscriminately. And so it creates opportunity. If you're, if, if you say, okay, I have my, I have my, my, my five year outlook. I, I have an idea of where the future is going, right? These companies or investments are part of the future. That creates the opportunity for you to like just gobble up deals, right? Because the index got sold through volatility, and you're like, well, man, Coinbase is already a good buy, and it dropped some more. You know, that's that's a huge opportunity, right? And that's and that is where a lot of a lot of money is 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 made and taking advantage of opportunity. And, and Warren Buffett, some some bitcoins we have our beef with Warren Buffett at the moment. You know, but but in his heyday, you know, he was he was the man, right? You know, just like you know, the cab drivers were like the man and women thirty years ago, right? You know, they they're extinct now. But Warren Buffett, like you know, I'm, I'm you can't take anything from him. He was super successful, and one of the big things that he talked about when he was, you know, the thirty forty year old hotshot, you know, railing against the 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 old establishment and, and making money was he talked about volatility, like volatility is not risk. He made a lot of money taking advantage of opportunity, you know, to, to, and th- for those who don't know, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger just talked recklessly about Bitcoin, right? But they have missed every technology stock in the last 20 years. And they, they admit they don't get technology, but I'm shocked that they have such a strong opinion about the newest technology. They don't even understand. Like, at least if you say you don't know tech, then stay neutral, but don't bash it because you're 90. Like, I don't expect you to understand that at 90. Who will? So don't tarnish your legacy by... <laughs> By by saying ignorant things, you know, at a later stage, but it won't be tarnished. He's still he's still Warren Buffett. Like he's like that, he's like that grandpa that just says stuff that's off the wall, and you're like, oh man, he's ninety. You know, I, I, I let that <laughs> I let that slide. I let that slide. He he knows not what he says. So Square analysis. This is I want to I want to get into Square today. And so Square is you know what I call the the bank of the future and i think i mentioned it's a, it's a it's a stock we also own in the stonehill strategy i told you about the managed account strategy for, for for high income high net worth clients but square has been killing it at the stock but i don't think a lot of people understand like their big competitive advantages they're they're one of the few financial companies fintech companies companies period that have a uh, direct relationship with the consumer and the business, right? So, so you have Square, which is like they do like these payment. You know, if, if you're a business owner and you want to get paid on the invoice or some way, like you have you have like this Square little deal, right? I forget what it's called, a little device, doggle, doggle or something like that. Yeah, you can plug it into your iPhone or it's it's super simple, super easy, but you can do business anywhere. So they have a relationship with the business owner, and then they also have a relationship with the consumers via Cash App. And, you know, the, the history behind that is maybe 50 years ago, maybe banks had that kind of relationship, but banks have been losing like the merchant banking business to companies like Visa and MasterCard. And, and it kind of, it, 
they got some people got in between them and their customers. But Square has like both relationships, and even though they have both relationships, the the finance world is kind of crazy. You you still have intermediaries between them because you have like you know the banking institutions between the consumer and the business owner that's like that has like layers of costs. But here's the opportunity: Square has the relationship with the consumer and the business owner, and as technology progresses, especially if you know, especially if if which they probably will, if when Square em- embraces the payment rows of, of of cryptocurrency, which gives you allows you to bypass that whole banking system and have and you can you can transact at the at the blockchain level of whatever blockchain you choose to use, right? They're probably going to use Bitcoin because Jack Dorsey's super Bitcoin and it's the most it's it's the it's the more safer, secure network even above Ethereum because it's uh, anybody can verify and trust the versus Ethereum where you have to rely on some people and that's a whole another nerd topic but if they transact at that level they can they can bypass the the system move faster and lower lower fees and costs right so that would be the equivalent of when Facebook didn't really monetize and just added folks to their platform they want to get the become the biggest network, biggest network, biggest network, and then once it became the biggest network, then they were able to slowly, you know, monetize through advertising, right, to the customer. So Square has the relationship. They're they they got that part right, and technology allowed them to cut out all these middlemen and women, and that will allow them to either like have all that as profit, right, or undercut the competitors, right. Which and this is not even including like what I'm t- talking about next is their potential lending business, right? Because y- you think about the fact that Square's, and, I, and I'm, I'm forgetting the name, but, but basically Square has information on their business owner customers about their finances and their flow of money, right? B- between them and, and, and QuickBooks, like they know the most about the, the ins and out of customers ca- of their customers' cash flow. And they even have a soft, they have software where you can track your cash flow similar to Quicken on Square. And so you think about that, you think, well, man, with technology, like who's a better lender, right? The, the the banker that doesn't know everything in real time, right? Or the company that knows everything about the cash flows in real time and can run data. Like hands down, Square will win that game. And they ha- they're not even like, they started lending, you know, pre-COVID, but they really haven't rolled that business out super aggressively yet. So as that comes to, that adds additional money, right? They're, they're mostly U.S., so international markets are, a big opportunity down the road as well. And again, that's part of what's not priced in. And the whole cross-selling opportunities. So think about when you went to the bank, you got your money, but you also said, oh, I need a car loan or a mortgage, or maybe I want to buy some some life insurance, some car insurance, or some investments, right? All those services have not really begun to take off in, 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 in Square. Outside, they do have investing. You can buy Bitcoin. But I did an episode a few weeks ago about the digital wallet space, right? This, you know, Square is is the, you know, 800-pound gorilla in this space, and they haven't even really started yet. And so Square is, you know, when, when, you, when you do uh, valuation work and you say, you might think, oh, you know, Square is expensive. But with a company like Square, just like with Amazon, right, you... And I was explaining this to a customer the other day too. You you can't like value these companies based on earnings because they don't want earnings, right? They 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 want growth, and so you got to look at cash flow. You know, which is which is different, right? Cash flow is 
they sell something, here's what it costs to sell it and, and, and make it. Here's you net all that out and say, okay, how much the cash do they make from the transaction before they go do all the accounting tricks and invest the money? So you want to look at the cash flow. You know, what do they make from operations from a cash flow standpoint? And then you want to value it based on that. Because if you looked at if you looked at Amazon cash flow twenty years from now versus today and you and you and you say, okay, this was the growth rate. And then you compare that to the stock growth rate, it's almost the same, right? It's somewhere in a 30% a year range, right? I did the math because the stock will follow the cash flow over time. So what you want to do is you want to do a discounted cash flow model based on the cash flow because they don't want earnings. They, they want to reinvest to build their moat, right? They want to say, all right, we have an advantage, but we want to keep the advantage. And so as we make cash, we're going to inv- aggressively invest in whatever the team thinks they need to invest in to to further build uh, their moat. And so when you when you do that valuation and then you understand the interest rates like the you know right right now the volatility from the market is a lot from people thinking okay interest rates are going to go higher. And in the short term they probably will, right? I wouldn't be shocked if interest got 3-4% in the short term. Here here's the problem. The Fed cannot the Fed or governments around the world cannot afford for U.S. interest rates to be three, four percent for a prolonged period of time because that literally blows the financial system up. Like not not just America, everybody borrows in dollars, and so we're the strongest country right now. There's a whole lot of weak countries that can't afford three percent interest, you know, on on borrowing money. It literally blows their economy up. In America with all the boomers who are retiring and have Social Security and all the retired state and government employees that get pension plans, and plus the people that we owe money to on the debt standpoint, like if those rates go up, all those obligations go up, and it blows up our finances. And so, you know, the Fed will institute yield control, or if they don't, system blows up. They're not, they're not going to let it blow up. And so rates are going to have to be low for a long period of time, similar to Japan, right? It's you don't have to guess. Talk about time traveling. Time travel by looking at Japan. They started this deflationary process, you know, 30 years ago, and they've had below 1% interest rate since like the mid-90s. And so we're on the same path, right? So is Europe. And so, you you know, you'll have short-term, you know, spikes or whatever, but they they have to 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 keep those rates low. And as long as they keep rates low, that pushes people into into saying, all right, we we need to invest for the future because if our savings accounts were actually paying three, four, five percent, or if we can earn six, seven percent on bonds for our money, investors might not be willing to bet on a five-year outlook or a ten-year outlook and deal with the volatility because we can get a decent return by investing in the short term. But when rates are low, then it encourages investors to you know, have to embrace volatility more and bet more on the future, uh, i.e. tech stocks. And so that that's the correlation, right? So rate, so if in the short term rates rise, you, you'll see sell-offs in these future stocks that I was telling you about, which is why we have the volatility because of uncertainty around rates. But if you say, okay, I understand they have to keep rates low, right? And I understand that these things are the future, right? So valuations are going to, my valuation models that at low inflation are going to be pretty accurate as long as they stay there. And these companies are going to win regardless, right? So the company's going to win market share, you know, whether rates are high or low. That's going to happen. The question is, you know, what discounted 
interest rate do you use? Do you use a low rate or a high rate? Uh, because that's going to impact like what you pay for the company that you buy. And so if so if 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 rates are higher, then you're like, okay, I'm going to pay less for the company because I got opportunity to invest my money at five percent in the bank, and take no risk. But if rates are lower, you're willing to pay more for the company because there's not a lot of competition. And so combining those two together allows you to say, oh, okay, yeah. I'll deal with the volatility because even though we get a short-term spike in, in in rates, I think over the long term, five, six, seven years, rates on average are going to have to be uh, lower. And then you might say, what's the alternative? So you say, because you, you can never be right 100%, but then you say, all right, rates do spike. Like if rates spike, things blow up. Like that's not a, that's not an opinion. Like that that's going to happen. So then you're like, all right, the system blows up. You know, where do I want to be? Bitcoin. Right. See, here's why I like Bitcoin. Bitcoin wins in both scenarios. You know, Bitcoin wins in low rates when they rep- when they rep- repress rates, keep them low artificially, because that's called financial repression. That's a whole other topic. But Bitcoin wins in that scenario because they're they're manipulating the market on rates, and so Bitcoin likes that. And then Bitcoin likes if the system <laughs> if the system blows up, because then you're gonna need a new money. You know, and so. Having Bitcoin as as a as a cornerstone insurance part of your portfolio, you know, is really kind of like like <laughs> the ultimate asset right now because like if you if you're wrong on your tech stocks on your tech stock picks or even your speculative crypto portfolio of, of non Bitcoin Ethereum DeFi all these you know crazy coins right your Bitcoin saves you you know and really and really both scenarios. And so it's it's a very good hedge to have as a part of your portfolio. Which that wasn't even part of my notes, but that 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 encourages like why I love Bitcoin. So now I'm gonna, I'm going to go and answer a couple of questions that I got during the week that I think that I think is is important. Right, the f- first one I got this week is Philip. What's going on with the markets? And I actually kind of covered that. What's going on with the markets are and let me go let me go detail. There's there's worries of inflation. Right, people think inflation is going back to. You know, three, four, five percent at a prolonged basis, and, and and where's the worry coming from? Well, because we're opening up. Specifically, this week, unemployment numbers were lower than expected, which means more people are working, which means we're getting back to normal, which means if we get back to normal, people should spend more, right? And that creates, you know, more inflation because more money is chasing fewer goods, and so inflation pushes up the rates, and that means that. We, you know, if rates are at that higher level for the next five years, that that says, okay, I really can't buy tech stocks at this level because they're too expensive at, at with a high rate level, right? It's not as competitive with, again, higher rates in my bank account or bonds, and so that's what's happening. And 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 the market, you know, the market being, you know mostly short-term traders, they're not thinking about five years from now, right? The market is trying to position themselves for next quarter, right? Or six months from now. And so they're they're more concerned with, are rates going to be higher next quarter, right? Or over the next six months, you know, because that's, that's their position in time. But if you're thinking about five years from now, you're like, well, I'm not worried about the short-term, right? If if rates go up and short, short, short-term traders sell off Peloton, Coinbase, Square, Facebook, these are all companies that we own in the strategy I was telling you about. If they sell off those companies, cool, like we'll just buy some more or maybe some a little bit of cash that we had or cash that comes in. Like we'll just buy some more of them because over a five-year time period, they still look good because, 
again, rates gonna are gonna need to to stay low for a long period of time. So it's it's all time frames, right? And I think it's it's easier to be more right the longer your time frame is less stressful <laughs> the longer your time frame because you're not trying to gamble and guess on what's gonna happen. And it allows you to sleep better at night if you have a longer term time frame. And I'm saying five years. I'm not saying like a 40 year time frame. I'm saying five years instead of five months. You know, that allows you to embrace the volatility, not worry about it, and allows you to take advantage of opportunities when when the market is trying to figure out what's actually going to happen in the short term. So that's what's going on with with markets. I actually just answered my second question too, which was why are rates going up bad for tech stocks? So I, I answered that, so I won't I won't answer that one. The next question is, what are your thoughts on Dogecoin? Here's an interesting take on money, religion, which is, believe it or not, a lot more similar to what, what, what most people think, right? Because you think about like religion, a religion doesn't die as long as two people believe in it, right? As long as two people believe in a religion, it's not dead, right? As long as, you know, in prison today, people trade, you know, cigarettes or currency today, Right. In the Americas, tobacco was, you know, currency early on before we had like a standardized, you know, dollar. So if if me and Steve, the best audio engineer in Texas, if me and Steve decided, hey, you know, we're going to trade hand sanitizer between the two of us as currency. Yeah. I mean, that 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 becomes currency. So as long as two people believe in something Right, it holds value, and I'm saying that because I actually don't think Doge is ever going away, <laughs> because you know, right? Because Doge is, as I mentioned before, just an fu to the system, right? Hip hop was born as an fu to the system. You know, there's always going to be a generation that says fu to the system, and that's what Doge represents as a as a cryptocurrency. And so, you know, I think what you're going to see in the future too is. Just like we, just like we flex in real life, right? You know, I have Adidas. I like Adidas. That's my flex, right? Your flex might be a Tesla, because here's here's let me let me build this up a little bit more. I was talking to my buddy, another client of mine, and I said, "Hey, do you realize that if you look at everything that we buy, right? Only a few are needs, right? We need food, and we need shelter, right? Like at a core level, we don't need the shelter that we that we." choose to buy but we only need food and we only need shelter and like something to cover our you know what i'm saying our private parts but outside of that everything else is flex you know and, and and so for those who don't know what flex means flex just means like you're flexing you're trying to say oh yeah look at me this is what i got right and so and i don't knock flex again my flex i like adidas like that's my flex right we live in a house that we that we live in that we don't need but it's like it's our, it's our flex is what we need so flex is not a bad thing but everything else is flex. And so if you if you understand that and then you understand a digital world and, and then you understand so then you also understand why my ten year old, you know, spends so much money on this Fortnite game because it's his flex. Like if he has this skin, his friends are like, Oh, Tate got that skin. You know, like that's flex in a digital world, right? You don't just don't judge it, understand it, and then make decisions. So so digital wallets will become like flexes. If if you say if if you own Doge, right? To people who say "f you" to the system, like you're cool, you're part of that tribe, right? That's that's your flex. So Doge will will be around because, in my opinion, because there's always it's a it's, it's decentralized. So it's not like a company that can go bankrupt. It's a decentralized network like the internet. So as long as people are willing to run nodes on their computers around the world, right? And people want to own it as a flex, like it will be here. 
Now, the question that's underlying the question is, is Doge a good investment, right? I don't think so. Like, going back to religion, will um, what's that crazy religion from Hollywood? You know, will Scientology, you know, st- still be here a thousand years ago? Probably. I'm pretty sure two people are going to stay invested. But am I going to practice it? No, hell no. Like, no, not doing that. I'm not. If you want to, fine. That's on you. You know, but but the the biggest religions tend to be the ones that that are the most rooted in time tested principles, right? Time tested truths. And, and you, when you look at Christianity, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, the biggest religions, they're basically all the same, except for you know who the savior is. You know, I mean, like at the at the core principles, they're the same religion. It's gonna it's gonna blow a whole bit. That Philip isn't your dad a Christian pastor? Like I, you know, sit down with that. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like money right now and truth. And from a principle standpoint, like the principles are all the same, which is how they became the largest. And there are universal principles that that you see in in Chinese philosophy, right? In old Greek mythology, right? These are time tested universal principles that stand the test of time that allows these religions to grow to grow big. So you apply this to cryptocurrency world and then you understand why oh okay if i you know so these cryptos have protocols and protocols are like the rules right it's the principles of the of the network of the monetary system and then you could say all right i choose to opt in a bitcoin monetary system or i choose to um, you know opt in a doge's monetary system or ethereum's monetary system right those monetary systems are no different than political systems too right because you had religion then religion became government right They're, they're just rules that that society chooses to operate by. And so since money is the lifeblood of a society, of an economic system, you know, at the time of religion of, of a religion, right? It's the blood of the religion, right? It's it's the same principle. And so if you say, all right, so America, America got all the money from all around the world because before America, you had kings at the top that made all decisions and there was no transparency. People were not free. They debased the currency and taxed people crazily. So America came and said, hey, we're going to be decentralized. We're going to be for the people. The people are going to, you know, run it more relative to a monarchy, right? We're going to be transparent. We have these rules in the Constitution that dictate how we do things versus, you know, one person that was ordained by God to rule over these people, right? You know, it decentralized power, right, which... Money follows where it's trusted the best. And so then you go to crypto world and it's more decentralized, more transparent, more scarce than dollar-based system. And from a, when you look at the protocols, its protocol is the most sound. That's why the majority of money over time, in my opinion, will flow to Bitcoin. Doge, Doge, just, Doge doesn't have, you know what I'm saying? Doge doesn't have those principles, right? It's It'll be around, but I'm looking for time-tested protocols that are built on truth, right? I saw Bitcoin has the majority of my crypto assets and will continue to have the majority of my crypto assets. Because the other part is people will say, well, hey, Philip, what if there becomes a quote-unquote better protocol? Well, you know, as long as this one is sound protocol and it's first, right, it's probably going to win. It's, it's like it's like the English language, right? You know, when, when, when America was early, I think I listened somewhere, like there were actually like less people who spoke English in America than America. We were almost speaking German, Right in America, but for whatever reason, like English got chosen, and then now every country that deals in dollars, right? Every country speaks English, 
right? Even if their their native tongue is a different language, if you're you know, a lot of countries will also learn English because it's the it's the language of like the money that everybody uses. So you have to kind of learn English, and so it's spread. Is it is English better than German? I, I don't know. No, probably not. Right? I mean, from from a principal standpoint, how do you? Who knows? The point is, it, it was first. It grew, right? And then and and, and the more people use it, the more people got to use it, right? Because if if you have a telephone, I'll use a better example. It's like Facebook. We don't get off Facebook because. Like everybody we know is on Facebook. If we start, if we go to another network and the people that we want to talk to are not on that network, then we're like, dang, we're sitting over here and they're having fun over there. I got to go back to this network, right? Even though it might be better, right? The privacy might be better. It might have all these things that we wish we had on Facebook. But if the net, if, if it doesn't have the network and they have the bigger network, it's real hard to change over, right? And so that's that argument. And, and that ties into, you know, the whole Metcalf's law thing that I talked about earlier. So let's go to the last question. Philip, what are NFTs? NFTs are non-fungible tokens. And here's the short version of NFTs. Like it is it is the new way to flex in a digital wallet. Like it's going to be the flex zone. Think of anything that you want to buy that that's that's for flex, right? Paying 300 bucks to go to a Beyoncé concert, paying 500 bucks for some shoes, owning LeBron's rookie card. All these things that we own to flex can now be in a digital token format, a non-fungible token uh, that companies can use to to sell. I was I was joking with with Steve before the show, and I said, "Hey, like Steve, with NFTs, you can say because Steve is a is an amazing musician too. He plays Thursday nights over at Market Street here in Mansfield, but he's in a, and he and he finishes the set with Purple Rain, which I gotta co- I gotta come see." But I was like, hey, Steve, with an NFT, you basically can, can create like a Steve coin and you say, hey, I, I do 50 shows a year and the owner, you know, and the owner of Steve coin, like I'm going to do a show for them. And I was like, so as you become more valuable, Steve coin becomes more valuable and the ones that you kept and didn't didn't sell becomes more valuable. And every time people buy and sell Steve coin, right, you get a piece of the transaction, right? The, you know, just like websites are what we all use to market our business and everybody's going to eventually have a podcast like everybody's going to eventually for their business they're going to have a an nft like it's just inevitable right it may take 20 years right or 10 years i think it's actually going to happen a whole lot faster you know but nfts are just another way to sell flex right i mean you know again going back to what i said we only need food and clothing the, the you know the rest of this you know tr- multi-trillion dollar global economy is mostly flex I mean, you know, the bulk of it is flex. And so you can imagine the opportunities that can, that, that are going to become an NFT uh, space for making money. I was on the way up here listening to a podcast about people breeding and racing digital horses. Yes, crazy breeding. And like this one dude said he bought this digital horse that was like high class digital horse, like it was really good breed it had a really good you know winning ratio and it came to racing like it was you know i'm, I'm like i'm not a horse guy but like it was like the type of horse that everybody would want to breed with like in the real world because of all the attributes and so you can breed the horses so he said he said he put his horse in the, in the stead overnight to, to breed it and he said he woke up with like three grand because you know he basically said hey if you want to breed with my horse you gotta pay me like 600 bucks and so he woke up with like three grand over overnight because folks like bread with you know with his horse and I'm like that's crazy right I mean the 
the money making opportunities. And, and a lot of folks want to like judge. They're like, oh, I'm going to judge that. That's stupid. That's dumb. Well, like, I think it's dumb for people to pay a bunch of money for an old car. I think that's dumb, right? But you know what I mean? It doesn't matter if I think it's dumb. People, people will pay money for whatever they want to pay money for. It's, it's their money. What is the Picasso, right? What, like Picasso is like the famous artist that people pay like lots of money for. Like if you look at what a what an art thing is, like how much does it cost to buy a canvas? You know, no buy paper, like nothing. And then you get some paint, nothing. But it sells for millions. But it's just like paint and piece of paper. People pay millions for it because they want to flex for whatever reason. Like in 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 that culture, for those type of people in that tribe, Picasso is important. Like if somebody said Philip. Would you pay five hundred for a Picasso? I'd be like, hell no, it's not important to me. Like, it's, I don't care about that. And so, you just want to understand, okay, people flex, and if I could, if if I can have an idea of where the new flex trend is going, you can make a crazy amount of money. By the way, I don't own any FTS. You know, that's not a game that I want to pay. I actually would be more interested in owning because I think the NFT space. I think the winners are going to be Disney, UFC like DC Comics, like these brands that have strong brand recognition because I would 100% buy a Captain America uh, because he's, you know, it's black now. I buy a black Captain America NFT 100%, right? Because A, I think it's cool and B, I think it's going to go up in value as the world like browns out, you know what I mean? And we, and brown people get more money, black and brown people get more money. That becomes more valuable because he's Captain America. So, so the companies that actually like have strong brand, I think will ultimately win the NFT space in my opinion. And that's not even being talked about in the market right now. So anyway, that's, that's all I got for the day. Y'all enjoy your weekend. Again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Enjoy yourself. I hope you get spoiled. And I hope that y'all remember how well we spoil y'all when it comes to Father's Day because it's around the corner. Uh, y'all have a good weekend. One of the biggest planning challenges I see for individuals that work at publicly traded companies are planning around their stock base or equity base compensation. They get stock options, restricted stock, employee stock purchase plans that can majorly affect uh, their tax situation and their balance sheet over time. And the decision-making process around what you do with your stock based compensation can significantly impact your net worth in a positive or, or even a negative way, way over the long term. And so what I offer to potential new clients is to review your stock-based compensation plan and give my opinion on what you should do, what you should think about, how to put together a strategy around that. It's something that I do on an ongoing basis with existing clients, but I'll offer a no-cost, no-obligation, one-time consultation on your stock-based compensation plan for anybody who's interested. To sign up for a time, go to my website, StonehillWealthManagement.com and book a free investment, no cost, no obligation review. StonehillWealthManagement.com If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com 
forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.